0: We thank our choir this morning for that special music. We thank them for being able to share with us uh, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. I want to read this morning, if you have your Bibles with you, you can follow with me from 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. I'll read verses 3 through 8, and then on down, verses 12 through 19. The Apostle Paul is writing this uh, as we... Uh, are able to see that he understood who the apostles and disciples of Jesus were. He understood what had transpired, and he's telling us the significance of the resurrection. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, And then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And then in verse 12, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, May God bless the reading and the hearing and the understanding of his precious and his holy word. He is alive, hallelujah, we declare today as we gather for this service. On February the 17th, 1991, at the height of the desert storm, uh, battle that we were involved in, Ruth Dilla, received a very sad message from the Pentagon. It stated that her son, Clayton Carpenter, uh, first class private, had stepped on a mine in Kuwait and was dead. And Ruth Dilla wrote this. She said, I can't begin to describe my grief and my shock. It was almost more than I could ever bear. For three days I wept. For three days, I experienced great anger and loss. For three days, people tried to comfort me, but they could not because my hurt and pain was so deep. And then she received a message as the telephone rang. The voice on the other end said, Mom, it's me, I'm alive. Can you imagine that as a parent? I don't think any of us can take that in. She was absolutely overwhelmed. I couldn't believe it at first, she wrote, but then I recognized his voice. Her son, who she thought was dead, is now alive. She said, I laughed, I cried. I felt like turning cartwheels because my son that I thought was dead was now talking to me over the phone. So it was with Christ and his death. Those early believers, those disciples and apostles and these ladies who went to the tomb on that first uh, morn for Easter, they thought they had lost this one who had transformed and changed their lives only to find out that he was alive and well. A little two-year-old girl, she couldn't wait. For Easter to come, she was so excited, and she had all of her new clothes to wear—a dress and matching shoes and a little pocketbook. And her dad was afraid that she didn't understand what Easter was all about, and so he said, "Kara, do you know what Easter is really about? What it really means?" And she threw up her hands and she said, "Surprise!" And it was—it was a real surprise, wasn't it? When Christ came out of the grave, it was a surprise for all of his followers. It was a surprise for all the government of that day. It was a surprise to everybody. And it continues to be a surprise for us today as we come and worship the Lord. That was the clear reaction of those disciples and those friends. Those who went to the tomb early, and then we're told later on, uh, there that he was able to have many people who were able to see him. The Luke account says, As the women bowed their faces with fright, and the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, and be raised again. And then they remembered the words of Christ, and they believed, and these words, which at first seemed to be nonsense, were of great surprise and joy and jubilation. John, in telling the story that we talked about at the the graveside this morning, Sunrise Service, talks about particularly Mary Magdalene coming onto the scene to be able to go and minister to Jesus through these spices and taking care of the body that had been taken before the Sabbath. And she got there and she was distraught. She was confused. She was baffled because Christ was not there. She called on Peter and John to come and look and they did and they saw the linens there in the grave and the body had disappeared and they disappeared from her presence And she was there weeping and we, as we told this morning Jesus called her by name Mary and she knew it was the voice of Christ. The one who had transformed her life into something new, something fresh. They had experienced that. She had experienced that. Easter, an extraordinary time of the year. We wonder why people are able to gather in such numbers all over the world to celebrate. And that's because we worship a risen Savior. Do You know, there's a lot of religions all over the world, but we're the only religion, we're the only faith system that believes that once their Savior, their Messiah was dead and now is living again. We're the only faith system in all the world. We have something to really celebrate, don't we? Pastor Michael Slaughter tells... Some years ago of traveling to Moscow when the Cold War was about to end and, and the Iron Curtain was dissipating, and it was the first year that they were going to celebrate their faith in Russia, and there was a banner there in Red Square that read, Christ has risen. He said he couldn't help but to notice that less than 25 yards away, there was the tomb of Vladimir Lenin, the father of the Soviet Revolution. It struck him as being really ironic that here's this banner that Christ has risen overshadowing the tomb of this communist leader which had once proclaimed that God was dead. He also noticed that here was this mausoleum that was made of glass and granite that held the body of linen And yet the tomb of Jesus Christ was not to be found anybody there because He had risen from the dead. Christ had risen. Surprise. Lenin is dead. Stalin is dead. Communism is dead. But Christ lives on in the world and in our life today. There in 1 Corinthians Fifteen, three through 7 he says, For what I received I passed on to you as the first of importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and on the third day according to the Scriptures that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve and then he appeared to more than 500 of his brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living though some have fallen asleep or he's saying have passed away. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. Did you catch that in the Scriptures? Paul was telling about a shared experience of the Christian community. The risen Christ had appeared to more than 500 people. Those who are doubters are always looking for evidence, aren't they? to punch holes in the belief in the risen Christ. Nothing in the ancient world refutes the testimony of the believers. Nothing in the modern world refutes the testimony either. It's always been fashionable for somebody to raise that issue. Well, do you really think that Christ rose? And then what kind of evidence do we have and all of that? I think it's interesting, isn't it, that when we have new discoveries, scientific discoveries, how people wholeheartedly sometimes embrace that, and yet we have difficulty embracing the risen Christ. If you were to go home today and read a newspaper in the morning, and it said, Alarming news. Scientists have found that they can take a thread of the DNA from an individual and reconstruct or resurrect an individual. We'd probably look at one another and say well how about that? Isn't that nice? And we wouldn't maybe question it. But there are folks who continue to question whether Christ really did arise from the dead. And we need to feel certainty in our heart that he did that. You see, many of us would have no problem in believing in the scientific world and yet we can't see that the God who created all of the world is able to raise up His Son. We need to understand that and to believe that. Deep within our souls, the very Spirit of God testifies with our spirit that He is alive. I think it's interesting in what Paul writes. For if you listen to what he's saying in this passage of Scripture here in 1 Corinthians 15, he's saying, look, all that Jesus said that He was all the miracles that he performed, all the things that he did in raising people up, even uh, Lazarus from the dead, that all of that is in vain. And it really doesn't count if Christ himself cannot be raised from the dead and is not alive. He said, in other words, guys, let's just go get our fishing poles and go fishing if we can't believe in the resurrection. It's really the crux of who we are in our faith. And if we can't believe in the resurrection... He said, don't believe any of the rest of it. So we come as believers hoping that we understand what Paul is saying and that we stake our faith that Christ not only died for our sins, but that he rose again. You know, it gives us hope, doesn't it? I don't know how many times I've stood at the grave of someone that I've loved and known and been able to serve with. And sadness because we're not going to be able to have any more time here on earth. But able to offer hope to a family in distress, a family that was hurting, a family that was disappointed because we can say this is not the end of the journey. There's still another place for us to go. There's eternal life in Jesus Christ because He is at the right hand of the Father. And we can be there one day too because Christ is alive again. If this is all there is to life in this world, if we die and that's the end of it, and many people believe that, then our faith is dead. But we believe there's abundant life here. And we believe there's eternal life in the heavens because we're a believer in Jesus Christ and we stake our life and we stake our faith on that, don't we? And so we have people of hope and not despair because of that. Robert E. Smith, once told of hearing the Hallelujah Chorus, it was sung by some 500 voices and by the way, now, Brett already told you in early service we're expecting you to have about that next year five hundred voices singing Hallelujah chorus. Everybody, y'all, be sure to tell him you're looking forward to that next year. Only kidding, Brett. But he heard five hundred voices singing Hallelujah chorus. That Messiah that was composed by George Frederick Handel, who was stricken by blindness in 1751. Handel claimed that he had a vision from God and that that vision that he had from God, that he set it to music. Smith wrote that he uh, almost had instant doubt about Handel's claim, but then he heard this inspiring word that raised him beyond this life, he said, almost to paradise. The hallelujah chorus, Smith said, is a magnificent expression of two thoughts, that Christ reigns over all, and secondly, that He reigns eternally. And about the middle of the chorus, He said, those bass voices sing, And He shall reign forever and ever. And then the tenor voices join in, and they sing, And He shall reign forever and ever. And then the alto voices join in, and they sing, And He shall reign forever and ever. And then the sopranos join in, and they sing, And He shall reign Forever and ever, and then as they get on down there, they sing this chorus in melody in unison together He shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Here's what he said about his experience I frankly confess that my soul was stirred profoundly, my mind was quickened spiritually. And my imagination carried me beyond these earthly things, beyond the stars, into the very presence and the paradise of God. I saw a great chorus which no person could number that assembled before the shining white throne. Most intently, uh, as I listened to the song which sang, it was a song of triumph for the King of Kings, telling of his wondrous achievements and the universality and the permanency of his reign. And in the midst of their song, I heard the voices of the patriarchs peal forth, and they shall reign forever and ever. And then the voices of the prophets as they sang, sang, He shall reign forever and ever. And then we find that He said the church leaders and those who were involved in the leadership of the church, they sang forth, and He shall reign forever and ever. And then the voices of the martyrs, they triumphantly sang that as well. He shall reign forever and ever. The patriarchs, the prophets, the apostles, the church leaders, the martyrs, all joined in in a chorus together as he heard them singing that, as he imagined that, with the angels of God and all the redeemed of all the ages joined in this grand chorus and their spirits were lifted to a personal bliss, to ecstasy supreme. As they peeled forth The blessed, the glorious, triumphant strain. For he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Listen to some of that song and maybe it will take you in the very presence of God. Well, Most of us couldn't express it that well, could we? But it lifts us beyond this life to the eternal life. That experience that hope of, uh, hopefully every one of us have experienced this morning already. It is the music of Easter. It is a surprise that the Marys and John and Peter and the 500 and all of those who experienced the risen Lord had. And he shall reign forever and ever, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah, hallelujah is all we can really say, isn't it? Amen and amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, may we shout that from the mountaintops. May we know that Christ lives in our heart. If there's one person who doesn't know you, have question marks this morning, right where they sit in their own homes as they listen, they can bow their heads and invite Christ to come into their hearts as their personal Lord and Savior. Those of us who may have wandered away, it's a great time to come back. Lord, we just ask your forgiveness, your watch care upon us, and lead us back into the path that we need to go, that we'll be able to know that you're alive in our life. Oh, Lord, for those who come with questions, confirm in our hearts, give us your presence, oh, Lord, that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we know that the resurrected Christ lives in us has a place here for us to serve and a place in glory. And We pray, Father, that each of us would confirm that at this very moment for us in the precious name of Christ our Lord we make this prayer. Amen. Back when this was written, King George II went to a performance of the Messiah in London. He was so moved with compassion. He was so moved by those words and the music that he stood up. And it's been a tradition ever since to show our reverence to the Lord. People have stood up when that song. Uh, We could have stood you up. I actually saw a couple people stand up. But we're going to ask everybody to stand as we're delighted to have Brett and Vinnie playing Uh, this wonderful song, the Hallelujah Chorus. And I hope uh, that it rings true in your life, Uh, God's blessing. So would you please stand as they are able to close the service with that. May God bless you. We're glad that you're here. We hope you have a wonderful Easter. And I think the spiritual dimension that we need to get that right start with and then everything else falls into place. Uh, We invite you to be back with us again if you're visiting. We hope those who are listening that you can continue to do do that. And we're planning on continuing to have services at 8.30 and 10.30 on Sunday morning. So may God bless you. If I haven't met you yet and you're visiting with us, hope to meet you, hope to speak to as many people as we can. We'll have staff uh, outside as we depart today. May God bless.